Hello everybody and welcome to episode 35 of Customers Who Click. Today I've got Fiona Stevens, the Head of Marketing at Loyalty Line with me to talk about loyalty programs and how businesses can get the most value from them. I've spoken out about loyalty programs a few times over the last year, uh, mainly around how lots of them don't really build loyalty and engagement, they're, they're not implemented well, and so customers aren't actually encouraged to spend more or engage more with the brand, they just eventually get a discount when they happen to have accumulated enough points. A good loyalty program will provide a massive ROI by generating repeat business from customers, improving their life and value, but also boosting the company's performance in other areas. But before I spoil it all, here's Fiona to explain how you can run a powerful loyalty program. Hi, Fiona. Thanks for joining me. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, a bit of your background um, and why you do what you do at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, so I've been working in marketing for over a decade now, which is terrifying, actually. Um, but I've been specialised in retail and particularly e-commerce for around about the past seven years. Um, I've worked in-house for a whole load of agencies, including SEO content, PR. So worked in a lot of different kind of facets. Um, but as I say, been specialising very much in e-commerce and retail for the past six or seven years and then loyalty within that for about five now. And I just, I love doing what I do because it never gets any less interesting. Marketing never gets any less challenging and it changes so much, which is just really amazing and exciting. But specifically in the e-commerce space, I just, I love the way that platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce have made it so that anybody can open an e-commerce store from the gym sharks of the world to kind of your nana who's knitting crochet. And um, I think it's a really amazing thing that e-commerce is so accessible. And I think certainly I and probably a lot of our partners in the space do what we do because we want to help all of those smaller stores be as successful as high street stores that have all the resource in the world behind them. I think it's just such an interesting space as it grows. I absolutely agree. Um, I see quite a few posts on LinkedIn about how people have literally just set up a store during lockdown and started selling because they've got a hobby or an interest or um, I think some, you know, some people got furloughed and so they're sat at home thinking about what to do and mm -hmm. they kind of see this little gap in the market or whatever, or a little opportunity. And yeah, it takes well, like five minutes to set up, to sign up to Shopify, obviously a bit longer to set up the store, <laughs> but um, yeah, you can get going and, and there are so many kind of plugins and apps that you can use you, you don't need access to a developer team or an agency to build it for you. No, you don't. And it's amazing as a marketer, but it's also amazing as a consumer. You know, we've got just so many more things that we can get involved with and buy from now as a result of that. Yeah. And, and so many, so many more like cool little brands mm. that are popping up because they can. And, and yeah, like they, they don't need hundreds of thousands of pounds to get a website built and, and all their stock and everything. Um, and it, even the stuff around it, you know, the fulfillment and things like that, it's now so easy to outsource things um, and, and just kind of have, have everything handled, really, you know, if, if, if you don't want to or can't. Um, and lots of stuff is done on performance as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the barrier to entry is just so much lower. I think things like print on demand means, you know, you might have a fantastic idea for a T-shirt. You don't have to go out and buy 1500 of those t-shirts and hope for the best anymore you know you can just see how it goes as you set up and see which things sell better and you don't have to make that initial outlay i think it's a huge game changer yeah especially for people who are more creative as well uh, mm. well sorry more on the creative side i mean um they can literally just churn out t-shirt ideas stick them on the website see what sells uh, and just start you know focusing on that that particular uh, style or theme mm. um, that you don't have to worry so much about the marketing side if you don't want to or, or you're not really that sort of person you can get quite a basic setup done just by installing a few apps um, almost like following their best practice on how to do a few bits um, or, or, or that basic setup um, and then, then you take it to the next level if you want to later yeah, and I think the well, the content out there is amazing as well. Now, you know, you could follow just a few YouTube videos, um, read a few how-to guides, and you'd be an expert in minutes. It's it's fantastic. Well, I mean, in the interest of keeping, not an expert, keep, keep, <laughs> keeping our work going, uh, not an expert, but yeah, you can you can do you can do pretty well. Yeah, yeah you can get the basics. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, well, should, let's talk about loyalty schemes then. Obviously, uh, Loyalty Line uh, is, a, is a loyalty scheme provider. Um, 
I've not had too much experience with them myself. Um, but yeah, do you want to tell us a, a bit more about loyalty schemes and, and kind of the how they work now and, and who they work for, why they're important um, and what do customers want from them? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think loyalty programs in general have a, a slightly bad reputation. Things like frequent flyer programs of the past, Tesco Club Card, Boots Advantage. Traditionally, all these things have been quite difficult to use, but even more important, it's been really difficult to see where you get the value from. You know that you hand over your card at the checkout and it gets scanned, but it takes a long time to build up any kind of meaningful points balance. And actually, when you do, it's not very easy to understand how to redeem that points balance. Um, so I think there's a bit of a legacy reputation going on, which makes consumers a little bit nervous of loyalty programs. I think up to, to now, they've always been seen as purely points prizes and discounts or, or freebies. And of course, there's an element of that. Every loyalty program has to run on a points basis, whether it's sort of at the front end and really obvious or whether it's more exclusive and hidden. But I think it's far more than that. A loyalty program is really, it's a way to encourage the next purchase and keep customers engaged. It's a way to get them coming back more frequently and spending more with you. But it's also a way for a brand to connect and build a long-term relationship with their customers to actually create a community around a loyalty program. I think that's what's really important to today's consumers. And more and more, they want to shop with brands that deliver really personalized experiences and make them feel like individuals rather than just another person that you're mass marketing to. And they want to shop with brands that stand for the same things as them. So it could be sustainability, it could be animal welfare, it could be veganism. There's, you know, there's hundreds of causes. Whatever your particular cause that you care about is, as a consumer, more than ever, you want to know that brands are doing what they can to support those causes. And a Lord's program is a really great way to actually demonstrate what you stand for and to show customers that you care about things and they care about the same things. Obviously, it's worth just noting that a loyalty program will work better for some brands than others. It's not necessarily a solution for everybody. The higher your purchase frequency, the more you're going to be able to get people to come back and engage regularly. So whilst it might work perfectly for a beauty or a supplement brand, if you're selling mattresses and somebody only engages with you once every seven years, you're going to find a loyalty program a little less effective. So definitely not a, um, a blanket solution for everybody. But if you've got um, a high frequency product and you've got a community of customers that really care about the same things then it's a fantastic solution yeah absolutely um i do i do kind of agree with you uh what you said at the start about um pe people don't really know what to do with their points and things um tesco i've always found quite good um because they've always mailed me a voucher mm. um every i don't know how frequently it was like every quarter or something but now what I find really interesting uh, is, I don't know if they've changed the model or if this is just a new thing they're doing, but now you see club card price in their stores. Mm. So if you ha if you scan your club card when you're um, completing, you know, completing your purchase, uh, ch checking out. I mean, um, I keep using the phrase "completing your purchase" because I because <laughs> I uh, when I write the write content, that's the phrase I use. Uh, yeah, when you when you're checking out. You scan your club card and it will discount all those products that have a, a special club card price. And mm. I really like that because you can see you can see the discount that you're getting right there and then, and you feel like you're benefiting from that club card. And uh, what's really interesting, actually, is my flatmate works for a company that um, deals deals in kind of loyalty schemes and um, and the data side for for supermarkets. And he said, actually this is something that's not worked in the UK before. Like some, oh. some companies have tried it in the past and it's just never worked. And apparently it's because we as consumers prefer seeing things on the shelves, which say uh, buy, buy three for the price of two or buy one, get one free. Like we like, we like those sort of messages. Um, mm. So it'd be interesting because there must be a reason they've brought that back. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's really interesting because I think as consumers, you like to feel like you're getting something that um, something special, you know, something different, something that other people aren't necessarily getting. Um, and I, I think I, I agree with you. I really love what Tesco's are doing. I've been making use of it myself. And there is there's just this lovely feeling of um, when you see the price drop on the till, you think, oh, that's nice. I'm getting something back. Um, 
yeah. and I, I think that's the the thing to try and emulate um you know the, the buy one get one freeze and the three for twos they drive me mad because you end up with three washing up liquids in your cupboard when you really don't need them uh, things yeah. like that so I think it's it's uh, far better to understand what your customers actually need and then to give them that feeling of um sort of instant gratification uh it'd be interesting to see what they if if they end up doing anything uh with the data from a an obvious to the consumer point of view so do they see people buying like if you've been on club card for ages like i have um do they see that now i'm buying more products that have special club card prices or has my buying behavior not actually changed and then mm. seeing how that affects maybe the vouchers or whatever they decide to send me. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Or, or whether they're literally just data mining and uh, <laughs> using it to work out what to put on their shelves and things. Yeah, you have to keep um, us posted on that one. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, the other one was uh, Nectar, which I've spoken to a few people about. Um, I don't think anyone knows what Nectar points actually do. Honestly, I have a Nectar card that's linked to about three different addresses ago and they made it so difficult for me to change the address on the account to get a new card sent to me that I have not used a Nectar card since. It's just too difficult. And as you say, it's too difficult to understand what you're collecting for and how to do anything with it. It, How to collect it for, but also, um, obviously, well, I say obviously, from what I remember, it started with Sainsbury's and then went out from there. And then there is a proper set of companies that um, that you can collect points from and claim points with. Mm. But one of the problems is you never, you don't really know which companies they are. And you, you don't want to pull your next card out at every company <laughs> just to see whether they'll, uh, they'll give you points. Um, yeah. So for me, that was one of those things that made it a little bit worse. I didn't feel like it was a loyalty scheme for any particular company, um, which meant I didn't think it was for any company, really. Um, yeah, I think that's very, very fair feedback. But uh, but yeah, I completely agree about the the val- company values and things. Like, There's so many opportunities to get people to engage with the brand more um, and, and just kind of nudge them in the direction that, that will get them to do that. So hopefully you're not going to talk too much about this later, but <laughs> things, things like, yeah, if you get them to follow your Instagram account, um, in exchange for some points and they do that and then they start to really get um, exposed to those values that the company has um, so so you know you'd have to do use social media um, social media accounts really really well as well um, to get the value from it but um, yeah those, those sort of things should work really well completely and I think I think the key point from what you just said as well is making sure that customers know it's not all about purchases so if you can give people six or seven different ways to engage with your brand that you will reward that are completely outside of a purchase whether that's following on social channels whether that's liking and sharing your content whether it's leaving a review making a referral even just having a birthday things like that if you give customers lots of different ways to collect a points balance that aren't linked to just spending money with you they're instantly going to be more engaged and they're going to build up a far nicer relationship where rather than just, hey, here's 20% off, come and buy from us. It's, hey, build a relationship with us. Yeah, exactly. And um, kind of links links in with the um, data um, conversation that I had on episode one, actually, mm. um, about how customers will give you data that is useful to the business if they can see the use for it and they agree with that use. So the, the, the obvious example is stuff like um, like food. If you've got allergies or if you're vegan or vegetarian, if you share that information with, or if, if the brand asks for that information because they say, we want to let you know. Like, so um, before we jumped on the recording, you mentioned uh, you, you got your gusto um, delivery. So if they said to you, fill out this form um, and you answered, yes, I'm vegan, and they and because they said we will rem- we will let you know of vegan recipes or new vegan products that come out. There's you know you, you know what you're getting in exchange for that information, so you're going to hand it over, and it increases your engagement with that brand. Absolutely, it's all about that value exchange. People are so happy to give up their data if you're going to use it well, if you're going to use it to personalize experiences, to deliver better content, anything like that. And um, 
then yeah, people are more than happy to share, but as long as they understand what they're going to get in return. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no point just asking for everything. <laughs> so are there any uh, kind of myths and misconceptions around loyalty schemes, but obviously from a, a brand and marketing point of view rather than consumers? Yes, absolutely. There are a few, actually. I think the first one that we come up against most often is the idea that a loyalty program has to be really expensive to run. People think that, you know, the more points you give away, the more rewards you have to give away and you're just going to be losing money. Um, it's really not the case because each time somebody redeems a reward, each time somebody makes another purchase with you and um, uses a, a reward in that purchase, their customer lifetime value is growing. And because you're going to be bringing them back for more and more purchases, they're going to cover the cost of that loyalty program extremely quickly. Um, and the other thing is we're seeing so many more brands using experiential rewards now. So um, collect enough points and you can join this exclusive tier or um, we'll give you early access to sales, things like that. And those are things that you can use as rewards with absolutely no financial impact at all. And um, so, yeah, I think the first one, the idea that it's very expensive to set up a loyalty program is, is a big misconception. Um, and then I think the second thing would be the idea that it's incredibly complex to set up. Um, you have to have an entire loyalty strategy uh, in line before you do anything. I don't think that's the case at all. I think you can start really small and then you can grow. I think the only thing you need to know before you launch a loyalty program is how are you tying it to your brand in terms of its name? Um, and it, that, it's really that simple. You want it to complement your brand. So you need to get the name right in the first instance, but then you can start small, you can build it, you can adapt it. You know, you could literally start by just rewarding uh, purchases and birthdays and leave it at that. That could be all you start with. And then a few months later, you can add on reviews or add on referrals, things like that. Um, it doesn't have to be an all singing, dancing approach right at the very outset. And I think people find it very intimidating um, as a, a concept. And they see things like Nectar and Club Card and they see these huge machines and think that they have to emulate that. And it's, it's just not the case. You can start with something extremely simple and then grow it. I think, um, yeah, cost and complexity are the two that we, we talk about the most with our um, customers, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, really. I, those are obviously two of the things that, two of the easiest ways of putting people off even looking at it, aren't they? If you think yeah. it's expensive and you think it's going to take loads of time to to come up with the program, implement it, run it, it's it's way too easy for people to say, ah, just forget it. Like, we, we're not going to be able to get around to that. Mm. Um, or when, I don't know, like developers or someone get involved and say, oh, we, we haven't got the the time to to implement this. And actually, yeah. it's it's so early when they say that because they're, they're almost just heading it off. <laughs> That's a very good point, and that takes us full circle back to you know what we were saying at the beginning. There are you don't have to build your own loyalty pro program anymore. That development cost just isn't necessarily there. You know, obviously, depending on how sophisticated you want to make it, then yes, you need to start bringing in your tech team. But at the very outset, there are so many apps out there that you can just plug in and have something on brand that is up and running and rewarding your customers in literally minutes. And I guess, yeah, that's what we were talking about right at the start, wasn't it? It's nowadays, whatever you want to do in marketing, there's some sort of app for it, mm. app or widget or plugin for your website. And some of them might be quite basic. Uh, some of them you have to pay a lot of money for to get the, the, uh, the much better uh, options and features. Um, some, yeah, you will have to do a bit of dev work yourself, but only if you want to make it that really complex, well, not over the top, but yeah, a, a more <laughs> complex um, program that maybe uh, works for your brand a bit better. But, but yeah, like you say, you don't have to. Yeah. And I think marketers should feel really empowered by that because I know, I know for myself, every time I try and, you know, I think, oh, maybe we should do this on our website. And then I think, oh, like I'm not a developer, I don't know how to do that on the website. Or maybe we should do this to connect our CRM to that. Uh, and it, it is very um, scary as a marketer because those aren't the technical skills that we have. Um, so I think it's extremely empowering that there are the tools out there that you, you can, you can only necessarily get it to a certain point without a little bit of help, but you can, you can get it to quite a high level these days. Um, and and loyalty is no different. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if, 
someone wanted to get started with the loyalty scheme, um, or I guess potentially if they were reviewing something that they they felt wasn't working. But let's let's go with if someone wanted to start from scratch. What are some of the key things they need to consider? It's a good question. Um, I think the first thing to consider is: Do you actually have a view of who your most valuable customers are? So you know you can segment your customer base into we tend to think of three different segments you've got your loyal customers who come back they purchase again and they spend more money over time then you've got your at-risk people who actually they haven't come back in the time frame that you might have expected they're still they're not cold and they still know who you are but they haven't come back and made that next purchase and then you've got the people who shopped from you once and then churned and understanding who those most valuable, most loyal people are is really important if you're going to get started with a loyalty program because that's where you should focus your marketing efforts. Those are the people who will have the highest lifetime value and they'll bring you the biggest ROI from a loyalty program because their customer lifetime value will just continue to grow with an implementation of a, a program or scheme. Uh, but then also your at-risk people are really important because as I said, they're not cold at all. You could win them back really easily with just a few extra points or putting them up a tier in your program or, or something like that. So I think the first thing is to understand those segments so you know exactly where to focus your loyalty marketing when you do get started. Um, and then I think going back to uh, Nectar being too difficult to, to understand the benefit, uh, you would need to consider when you get started, how difficult are you making it for members to benefit? If it takes them too long to earn a reward, they won't keep engaging, they won't see the benefit, they won't equate it to actually helping them with the next purchase so they'll stop engaging um and also does your program have enough simple ways outside of purchase to earn points so we've kind of covered this already but um you know are you is there enough in your program that's giving people a boost and a feeling of aspiration like their points balance is growing continually and you can have things like double points weekends to get people going again you know you could use something like a double points weekend to um, appeal to that at risk segment for example and just help them get a bit of a boost to their points balance and get them coming back for that next purchase a lot sooner. Um, and I think the final thing I would say to anyone who is about to get started is um, it, it's all about branding. Are you communicating your brand effectively within your program? So is your program named in a way that's consistent with your brand? So for example, one of our customers, um, one of our clients, Skinny Dip, has Skinny Dip Airlines as their loyalty program, and then their tiers are all around things like takeoff, the lounge, that kind of thing. Um, so making sure that all your naming's in line with the brand, that your program's designed in your brand colours, and then if you can, making sure that your points and rewards and things match your brand values, then even better. But I think, um, yeah, knowing who your most valuable customers are, making sure that people can easily benefit from the program, and making sure it's completely on brand are the three things to watch out for. Yeah, completely makes sense. I mean, if particularly making it easy to to use and benefit from it. Um, you know, if, if you're the sort of business which, you know, if you have a low purchase frequency, you know, if, if people buy from you once a year, you know, maybe once every six months, if it's really difficult to earn the points to get a reward, pretty much in that first interaction, that first purchase, like you, you're not going to, you're not going to build that loyalty. You're not going to get that. You're not going to incentivize that second purchase quicker than they would normally do so. Mm. Whereas after the first purchase, if you then say, you know, you've, I don't know, created an account, made a purchase and opted into the newsletter. Therefore you've got enough points for a 10% discount that, you know, that might be something that then makes them come back in six months instead of 12 yeah, absolutely. Or potentially even quicker. Or, or they might just immediately use it and say, well, there's another product that actually I, I was looking at, so I'll buy that as well. Or maybe they buy some accessories or you know something something different um, from the product line that they wouldn't have bought um, normally. Absolutely. And actually one of the things we really recommend doing is in, when somebody joins your loyalty program, you can give them, you can reward them points in exchange for their sign up. Make that a big reward. Make that something that you can instantly use again. You know, if you give them enough points just for joining, they're going to come back and use that reward really quickly. Yeah, it's the first step in uh, kind of gamification, really, isn't it? You, even though it seems like such a basic thing to do, like why why should you get rewarded just for joining the reward scheme? 
<laughs> it's because it works. Uh, you know, it's kind of you're congratulating someone for taking that first step. Mm. If, if you don't congratulate them, then it's up to them to kind of push themselves through to, to get that to that second step. Absolutely. I think it's congratulating them. I think it's also kind of thanking them, thanking them for taking a punt on your brand, thanking them for making a commitment to your brand, um, which I think is a really nice thing. And I also, I think aspiration is really important. I don't, if you, I don't know if you had the same thing, but when I was a kid, there was a, a money box that the, the building society or the bank gave me. And you start putting your pocket money in and you start putting your uh, the money from the tooth fairy and things like that. And you saw your, you'd kind of get your money out and you'd count it. And it would be really exciting because you'd see that balance increase. And, you know, as kind of grown-ups who are shopping, I don't think it's any different. I think people love seeing that points balance accumulate. They love to feel like they're working towards the next reward, the next tier in the programme, unlocking the next benefit that they can get. Um, and there's, it's very interesting psychologically. There's two schools of thought. I think there are the people that like to watch their balance build up um, and will leave it for a long, long time. And then there are the people that just love to spend it over and over again. Um, but I, I think, yeah, we shouldn't underestimate how much people like that feeling of accumulation and aspiring to a bigger points balance. Yeah. And I think it's the, um, it's also the, the kind of intangible stuff as well. Like you said, like the tears. Like just an email to letting someone know that they've gone up to the next tier mm. in your loyalty program is just something that it, it kind of means nothing in a way. Like it, it doesn't really do anything, but it it's yeah, it's this congratulations. It's like a little award, uh, yeah, like an award or a mm. medal, and uh, they've got to that next tier. Which all right, you you can I guess you'd then uh, um you kind of reward people for being in that tier a bit differently. You know, they get access to some extra benefits. Um, yeah. But just by highlighting that, it's kind of, it gets people excited. And then obviously they'll probably log in, uh, check what better extra benefits they see. Uh, so they, they receive. Um, and that might even then just trigger another purchase or, mm-hmm. or some, maybe not a purchase, but some other interaction with the business. A hundred percent. Yeah. And a lot of the people, uh, um, a lot of the tiers we see have things like free shipping and that kind of thing as the benefits as you get higher up the tiers. And that can be a real, that can sway a purchase decision really easily. Free shipping is a really, really powerful one. It's very, um, I guess, polarised opinions on it. Yes. Uh, especially when you combine it. When, when you, If you kind of give it away on any purchase and also if you have a free returns policy, um, mm. you, you are kind of encouraging people to just buy anything and if they don't like it or change their mind they can just send it back which is great from a consumer point of view <laughs> not so good for a retailer quite, quite expensive gets quite expensive for a retailer so yeah and that's again that comes back to the point of being able to segment your loyal valuable customers you know tears is a really easy way to do that if you offer free shipping only to people who've purchased over five times or only to people who've spent over x number of pounds or dollars or over x have acquired uh, accumulated over x number of points then you're only outlaying that cost on the people that you know are your most valuable customers and who where you will see the return yeah i suppose you're taking a calculated risk on it yes Um, yeah you are you're banking on the fact that these this group of people is going to be more valuable to the business than the cost um that's going to be involved with it exactly yeah um, so what, what are some of the big or, or most common mistakes you see when brands uh, try implementing a loyalty scheme? Mm. I think there are, there are two things that I see people commonly, I'm not sure that I'd call them mistakes, I'd call them hugely missed opportunities. Um, I think the first one is people see loyalty programmes entirely as a retention tool, but actually they're an extremely cost-effective way to acquire new customers as well. So there, and there are two ways of doing that. The first is, I mean, reviews. We know that all consumers read reviews before they make purchases, even more so right now when we're not shopping in store. Reviews have probably never been more important. Um, and if you can use your loyalty program to incentivize your customers to leave reviews, you're going to build up that bank of user-generated content and you're going to easily convert new customers. Um, the more kind of commonly understood element would obviously be referrals. Um, 
you get your loyal customers to recommend their friends and family. Um, that's a far more cost-effective way to get new customers through the door than PPC advertising or um, your kind of traditional acquisition channels. And actually, the customers that you get being referred to you are far more likely to convert because they've already got an existing level of trust in your business. You know, somebody that they know has has given that recommendation. That's half your hard work done. That's the initial um, first impression out of the way. So I think, yeah, the first kind of missed opportunity that we see a lot is people thinking purely in terms of retention rather than, okay, how can I actually use a loyalty program to get new customers as well? And then the second thing is seeing a loyalty program as a standalone activity or a siloed activity. I think people forget that your loyalty program can actually connect a lot of your other tools and technologies as well and add a bit of power to them. So we just talked about reviews, for example. As I said, if you can incentivize reviews, you're going to get a lot more of them. So how have you connected your loyalty program and your reviews technology? How are they working together? What trigger emails have you got going out? That kind of thing. Um, or thinking about your help desk, for example, if you connect your loyalty program and your customer support reps, then anytime a consumer has a slightly sticky situation, they could be giving a reward or bumping up a tier or doing something to sweeten that situation. Um, and again, you're just sort of using your loyalty program to power up a different technology or a different part of your marketing strategy. Um, so yeah, I think that's another really missed opportunity is seeing it as a very siloed standalone activity when actually it should be you should be looking at how can it drive other areas of your marketing as well. Yeah, I really like that. Um, obviously, it's a really powerful retention tool, but yeah, it's also uh, almost like a supporting tool for all the other, yeah, all the other channels and enhances those as well. As well. So yeah, like you said, you can uh, generate reviews through it. You could send people to social media. Um, it can yeah it can link up with uh, with customer service as well and i like i like this idea of kind of delighting customers mm. as well which is a is a topic that i'm hoping well in fact i think it will be up on the podcast uh, a, a bit later at some point um this idea of yeah the, the company that i'm going to be talking to they've just given if i understood it correctly they've given their customer service agents uh something like a 200 pound budget each per month or something, which they can use to kind of surprise and delight any customers. Mm. And with yeah, with a loyalty program, you don't have to use a monetary uh, kind of um, uh, reward to to delight these people. You could just give them points. Mm. Absolutely, or you know, a bonus points on a particular product or. Um as I said earlier, early access to a new product range or something, how special do you feel if a company gives you first look access at their product range or something like that? It's, um, yeah. Can you imagine, I, I, they don't even have to do this, I know, but <laughs> imagine how well it would do for Apple, like someone like Apple, <laughs> if they if they said, I reckon they could sell that. I absolutely reckon I they could sell that, actually. I 100% think they could. Yeah, imagine if you were in that club. Yeah, so that would, it wouldn't even be a loyalty scheme, actually. Yeah, it would just be something they'd sell. Charge a th yeah. They could charge, oh, it'd be something insane, probably like a grand, £1,000 a year. Honestly, people would pay it. And and you'd be first in line to <laughs> for, for any new product they do. you get it a month in advance or something. Oh, it would be huge. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So bad example because Apple could sell that, <laughs> that, that version. But yeah. Like if you, if you get into the top tier of the loyalty program, you get exclusive events or um, yeah, early access to new product lines or even just exclusive products, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and going back to the surprise and delight piece, a lot of people do kind of surprise products in their top tier. So you get a free gift every month that you're not, you don't know what it is until it arrives, things like that. Yeah, I think, um, I think actually Gust Gusto did this uh, for me a while ago. Um, I, I don't know if they just, I imagine they just sent it to everyone, but I got a wooden spoon with my box. Oh, brilliant. Um, and, it, and it seems like quite a good quality one. <laughs> and it's really good. And it's the one that I just go to by default now. Fantastic. Um, so they're top of mind every time you make your dinner. 
and and yeah i mean literally i, I will open the drawer and look for that one specifically <laughs> fantastic and i and i always remember that it was gusto that sent that to me um, yeah i mean i could talk for hours on the unboxing experience even though it's not that uh linked to to loyalty really i think doing something like that or i ordered something the other day and it came and the receipt was part of a poster it was on the back of a really beautiful poster um i wasn't expecting it and although i don't have a clue where i'm going to put this poster i just was really happily surprised you know yeah yeah it's just doing things a little bit differently mm. um it's i suppose it's like uh you know they've taken that opportunity they've they've got to send you something something that you will probably throw away pretty quickly mm. if anything like me it's really bad i should hold them to receipts for at least a little bit but um <laughs> And it's, it's the same. I know we're going a little bit off topic, but it's the same with like order confirmation emails. It's something yeah. you have to send out. And obviously, if people aren't opted into marketing, you have to be careful what else you put in there. But it's a great opportunity to brand it up, show off your brand values and stuff and make it a more engaging uh, email than one that is literally like a grey email with a, a table outlining what you've purchased, which is what most brands do. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. There's so much you could be putting in. If you if the person's not already a member of your program, use that email to sell the benefits of your program and try and get them signed up. Tell them how many points they've missed out on by not signing up. Tell them because actually you can set things up so that if they go back and create an account, they won't just get the points for creating an account, they'll get the points for that order as well. You know, let them know what they've missed out on. And then as you say, brand values, I think there's um, a few of our clients do this really well. 100% Pure is the one that comes to mind. Their welcome emails and their order confirmation emails and things are full of just really good information about how, why their products are 100% Pure. They're completely organic, that kind of thing. It's just, yeah, it's a really missed opportunity. Um, those kind of transactional emails yeah absolutely just, just on the, the post purchase actually i had an idea the other day uh because so one of my clients has um they kind of detect whether you have an account with them so on the, the first checkout page you put your email address in right at the top and then it, it will do a check so if you've got an account it will ask you to log in and if you haven't got an account it i think it asks you if you want to create one or just continue as a guest and I thought what you could do is if someone tries to log in because they've got an account but gets their password wrong, instead of asking someone to reset their password, which then sends them to their email inbox, which then causes problems with getting distracted and things, you could say, well, com complete the purchase now and then afterwards reset your password, verify your account, and we'll, and we'll just um, like assign that purchase to your account so you mm. kind of just get you keep them in the flow, you keep the purchase, but then you could also add the loyalty part to it. And you can, yeah. like, if they're in the program, you say, "Don't worry, we'll add your points in, at the on the next step." Mm. Yeah, absolutely, that'd be brilliant. And obviously, if they're not on the program, you say on the next page. By the way, join our join the loyalty program. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you see? Are there any big trends coming in the way uh, businesses use loyalty schemes or? or how consumers want to interact with them, you know, what they want from a, a, a brand and, and points? Yeah, I think there are a few things, actually. And I think these have been accelerated slightly by a, um, the, the wonderful year that has been 2020. I think the first thing is we, we did some research recently, and I can't remember the percentage off the top of my head, but we found that during lockdown and the past six months, um, more and more shoppers have been making purchases based on their brand values than previously, than before COVID. Um, so that kind of conscious consumerism is definitely, definitely becoming a trend, but we're seeing more and more brands working into their loyalty programs. That's definitely a big trend. So a couple of examples, there's a pet food brand, Edgard and Cooper, and their program, the points are called Belly Rubs. So if you, when you collect enough belly rubs, you can redeem them in a couple of different ways. The first one is just in return for money off your next purchase, if that's um, what you prefer. Or you can donate it to a dog shelter or you can use it to plant a tree. So they're making it really clear what they stand for as a brand, what they are passionate about, what they care about. And obviously, 
most dog owners are very very passionate about dogs <laughs> so um the um redemption rate for those uh, belly rubs towards uh, dog shelters is probably enormous because a they can see that the brand they're buying from is equally passionate about that cause but also they can contribute to it really easy really easily as well um Pacifica Beauty do something similar where they offer points in rewards for, sorry, points in return for recycling packaging from their brand. So again, you can, you're literally getting rewarded for having the same shared values as them. And they're really clearly demonstrating through their program what those values are, which doesn't just help bring people to them and bring them through the door, but helps keep them coming back and shopping again as well. Um, so I think that's a huge trend that's been big this year but I think it's only going to get bigger to be honest and um, and the other thing that we've really seen take off in the last few months is all around creating communities so you know we've talked a lot about loyalty being very much about building relationships and where offline and online have always differed is obviously online you're trying to replicate the store experience aren't you you're trying to replicate the experience of a shopkeeper being there and talking to you and content is obviously one of the key things in your arsenal to do that as an online store and for the first time we're really seeing people do that well through their loyalty program so they're creating these online communities and content hubs but there's really exclusive special content for the loyalty program members and we saw people doing things like virtual styling sessions we saw I think my favorite example is probably Astrid and Miu, they've built a content hub in the last few months that's phenomenal. It's got podcast recommendations. It's got playlists for different moods and different days. It's got interviews with their CEO. It's got, um, it's really clear from their content which causes they support, which charities or that kind of thing. And it's, again, it's just providing something outside of transactions. It's about more than just the sale. It's about building a community that people can feel a part of where they can, um, spend time with like-minded people, um, but all all online and all virtually. So I think, yeah, that growth in in using content to create a community, but also to create a feeling of exclusivity. Like I can join this community if I'm a program member, and by doing that, I'm also going to be able to access um, really special content. So we've got another beauty brand that's um, you know members of their. Facebook community, which is, I think, called their Insider Tribe or something like that, they actually get all this special beauty content that nobody else can access. Um, you know, how to use the products more successfully, um, how to get more out of different products, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think I think it's all about well, the, the two trends. A, it's all about um, showing what you believe in as a brand and showing how other people can align with you through your loyalty program, but then also creating a, a real community and using content as a mechanism to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you, if you do it right, the loyalty program just generates all this user-generated content, which then can kind of power that community anyway. Mm. So if you can get someone who, uh, let's say some that, that kind of cosmetics or something, um, someone who's, who's on the loyalty scheme and maybe, I don't know, maybe a bit of an influencer or something or, or wants to be and can can do a little, little video on how they've used a certain product and, and they, the benefits they got from that and stuff. That's then content that can go into that kind of VIP community mm. for everyone else to see. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, like it, it's, it's probably one of those things that sounds really complex and it's going to be a huge amount of work. But actually, if you set it up right and, and if you've probably got the right business for it, it almost powers itself and then you've just got to do a bit of uh, moderating and, and stuff in the almost in the background absolutely and and again it comes back to tying in your different strategies you know if um if social media is one of the tools that you're using as a brand then use it to build a social media community if um influencer marketing is something that you're doing anyway then think about how you can give uh sort of make an influencer give you some special content for an exclusive group of people that kind of thing yeah i really like that actually yeah work out where what some of the core channels you're using are for example like social media yeah social media um influences possibly in store 
mm-hmm. um, and seeing how you can link those up with the with the loyalty scheme to, to create that community. Yeah, um, completely. Generally, when it comes to marketing, do you have any pet peeves? <laughs> Such a good question. Um, probably many. I think the biggest thing that annoys me as a consumer and a marketer is misinformation. I think there's nothing more frustrating than when you click on a link and you expect one thing and you get sent to something else or you get an email with a really exciting subject line and then you open it and it's completely underwhelming. It's not what it promised at all. The content is either something completely different or just a whole lot more boring. Um, There's just nothing more irritating because something's caught my eye. I've got excited about it and then I feel let down. Um, So I think, yeah, in a world where consumers are getting a whole lot more savvy and probably less generous with their second chances as well. And we almost have a responsibility as marketers to make sure that whatever we're offering up is as compelling as the subject line or the ad copy or whatever we're using to get people in actually promises. And I think the other thing, and it's kind of linked to that, is I just when people don't give enough information for you to make a good decision, um, it could be there's not enough product information. It could be that you don't know how much the delivery fee is until you're halfway through the transaction. it just we, you know we're supposed to be making it as easy as possible for consumers and if we don't they'll go somewhere else in a heartbeat yeah definitely making just making sure information is there it's so easy it's not you know it's not a technical thing we're not asking you to build out some new features on the website to make sure the experience is better it's literally just information yeah um but to your first point actually uh i i had just that experience the other day which really kind of <laughs> wound me up because i thought this company was onto an amazing idea I got an email which was, I don't know if it's early Black Friday deal or it was related to Black Friday, but it basically said, or the, the message I got from it was, if you buy one of these products in our kind of Black Friday, early Black Friday deal, if it is discounted on Black Friday, then you'll get the money back. So my impression was that you would probably pay full price, um, but knowing that if they discounted it on Black Friday, uh, you get some money back. So that kind of works for me because it means I don't have to wait for Black Friday. Uh, so I don't have to wait another two weeks. And if it doesn't get discounted, then I would have waited two weeks for nothing, potentially. So yeah. anyway, I, I clicked through, had a look, got through to this uh, kind of, not really a microsite anymore. I don't think we use those anymore, but kind of like a microsite for Black Friday. Um, I, I filtered for the types of products I wanted, found the one I wanted, which had a big, uh, incredible deal tag on it. And I looked at the price, but on the product page, the price wasn't crossed out with a like sale price next to it, which is kind of what you expect from a sale. Mm. So I looked at the price and I thought, you've said it's an incredible deal, but it looks like this is full price. So what is the deal? I actually had to, because I was curious, because I was, I was looking at this from a marketing point of view, I, I got on live chat with them and asked them about it. And they just said, oh yeah, that, that is the deal price. <laughs> I thought, all right okay you haven't presented that very well um yeah. had, a, had a quick look on amazon and it was the same price on amazon so mm. it was like well is that if that's if that really is your incredible incredible black friday deal price you're you're just behind amazon um you're not like you it just you'll get it, it a whole lot faster from amazon as well unfortunately. yeah exactly like it, they kind of got me in with this this promotion that sounded quite interesting um, at least from a marketing point of view. And then I was just left disappointed. And I thought, oh, I just, yeah, I, I would just go to Amazon because it they have a nice, uh, well, they did exactly what I was expecting. They crossed out the RRP, put the new price, and next to it, they have that, you know, Amazon Prime, get it tomorrow uh, tag. So as much as I think people should buy from, you know, definitely buy from smaller companies, uh, independents and things, Amazon just does it so well. Um <laughs> They do, and it is frustrating. You know, a lot of our, a lot of the reason that Lotteryland exists is is literally to help people compete with Amazon. But um, it's, Black Friday is a really interesting as one as well because there's some quite big brands out there like Allbirds who aren't discounting this year. They're putting the price up, aren't they? Yeah, and they're going to give the difference to um, to a charity, I think. Um, and it's it's one of those things because you know we. We try and actively discourage people not to get involved in price wars or to, to discount everything too heavily or to, you know cheapen the brand and stuff. But it, it's it's frustrating, you know, the story that you just told. If they'd given you literally anything else with that price, 
you know, whether it was the opportunity to earn points, whether it was the opportunity to uh, go up a tier in a loyalty program or get something else back, you might have been inclined to pay it. You know, they would have had something over Amazon that you were happy to engage in. The key factor is you, you won't always be able to avoid discounting. You won't always be able to compete with Amazon, certainly not on price, certainly not on logistics. So it's more about what can you do to make somebody want to to choose you over convenience what else can you offer them and how do you make that as clear as possible yeah with with things like loyalty programs i suppose what you, you could do for black friday is offer you know double or even triple points you know mm-hmm. if, if you if it's if you offer double points every now and again through the year then black friday yeah offer triple points yeah. um and maybe even offer something unique for the loyalty program for black friday Yes. Yeah. I mean, again, whether it's early access to that sale or whether it's a slightly a, a, a different range or discounts on different things, or you can, you know, you can go down to a product level with points, but you can offer bonus points on different products and things like that. Yeah. So you could target, I guess, if you wanted to products that don't sell so well, mm. you could even encourage, encourage purchases on, on full price items. So have some in, in your Black Friday sale. But then say, yeah, but you also get double points for any full price items you buy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. I was, I was just going to say, and for those brands that actually are building up that loyalty with people, um, people will do that because they'll mm-hmm. want the loyalty points. Yes, exactly. You know, they'll see that balance occurring. And, and you know, Black Friday, if, if you've got your loyalty program right, Black Friday is an opportunity for people to earn a bunch of points. That means they'll come back in the new year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when people also expect a lot of sales, because <laughs> we have, I'm not sure what it's like in other countries, actually. But yeah, we have, well, now we have Black Friday, don't we? Because it's come over from America the last few years. Mm-hmm. Then we have Boxing Day sales, which for anyone non-UK is immediately the day after Christmas. Yeah. Uh, although even that started before, hasn't it? Well, I think basically you early think, early yeah. Boxing Day sales. Now you just have November, December, and January. I think yeah, <laughs> it's pretty one much one long slog, really, where people are expecting consumers are expecting discounts, and uh, you know, I really admire brands like Allbirds who are breaking away from it. From it, and I think we've got a, unfortunately a long, long way to go before every brand feels that they can do that and reverse this trend slightly. Um, and I completely appreciate that it's a huge time of year and people do extremely well out of it. But I just love to see people using it in a slightly more long term way. So making sure that any new customers you get through the door on Black Friday, what are you doing to keep them? And any customers that were at risk before Black Friday, what did you do to engage them before the event so that they came back again? And and that kind of thing, you know, just a slightly longer term perspective on the holiday period yeah absolutely i, th- I think if, if you are going to discount on black friday just make sure you've got a plan for actually retaining these people and, and trying to engage them and get long-term value from them exactly um, i think i think too many businesses still uh focus on acquisition and then assume that once the first acquisition has happened pe- people just come back mm-hmm. or or i guess if they don't like the brand they'll never come back <laughs> um but but if if they are happy they they will just come back on their own the next time they want that sort of product and yeah. it's obviously just not that simple unfortunately not and again there's a really interesting dynamic dynamic between product search and brand search there you know a lot of the time we google something we find a brand and we buy it because that was maybe the first thing that came up or the best price and you often don't even remember which brand you bought from and that's so dangerous because, you know, if someone doesn't remember that, then their next search is going to be a product search as well. You know, they're never going to make that jump to a brand search unless they have an amazing experience on your site. They get an amazing post-purchase email. They become part of your loyalty program, you know? Yeah, exactly. It, it just reminded me of um, the conversation I had in a, a previous episode about uh, like brand activation events. Mm. And um, you get this a lot in B2B conferences as well. Lots of lots of people will have their stands and they will have something gimmicky at their stand. And the big difference is the ones that build that brand engagement and that you really remember as being part of that brand. And yeah, you just found it engaging and it made you want to interact with that brand more. And then the, the other ones who just have like a bar or a food stand or something. 
And you might remember that that was there at the event, but you'll have no idea which brand was responsible for it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so just finally, uh, what what do you think is the most underrated aspect of marketing at the moment? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think people are the most underrated aspect of marketing. I think um, in the B2B world, you see CEOs and CMOs and everyone get wheeled out to talk and things like that. And you you can put a face to the brand, but you very rarely get that in the e-commerce world. So obviously you do with some huge success stories like Gymshark. We all know who the founder of Gymshark is, who, you know, great garage to a huge, huge company story. Um, but not every brand has that. And I think people like to buy from people. People connect with people. And, you know, we, for example, Astrid and me on their content hub, I think I already mentioned it, they were profiling members of their team, like the CEO. Um, and it's just it's nice to to know who you're buying from it's nice to see that story it's nice especially with these smaller independent brands you know you want to know why that brand is something you should care about and I you know I just I think it's nobody's selling that quite enough I'd love to see every single store out there with an amazing about us page that tells the story not just of the brand but the people behind the brand you know we we talk about content being storytelling so much in marketing now um and, you know, this human to human phrase that we're hearing quite a lot. But I don't think enough people are actually focusing on telling their stories and working their stories into the rest of their marketing. I think that's what people really buy into. I'd love to see a bit more of that. Yeah, completely agree. Um, you see an About Us page on, on pretty much every website, but that's a lot of the time, that's the only place you'll st- you'll hear the story. Mm. Um, it, it generally gets left out of emails. And I, th- I think one of the problems there is um, once a business gets to a certain size, the founder is no longer the person influencing certain aspects of marketing and things and content mm. and and probably doesn't interact with a lot of the staff as much any, either. So those, you know, the new people that come in, you know, once a company gets over, I don't know, 100 employees, maybe 200, mm. they are the new people are less connected with the brand. And so you start to, that stuff starts to disappear. Completely true. And I, I think um, I was having this conversation with the other day. There might be brands out there that do this and I just haven't seen it, but I'd love to see different parts of the business getting involved. So if you're in charge of product descriptions or you're, um, you know, maybe you're in charge of actually picking the products that that go on the site, I want to know why you picked that product. Um, wouldn't it be great if that product manager had a little call out on the thing that says we picked this because xyz it's really beautiful or it comes from a hand <laughs> handcrafted thing in such and such country I, d- I don't know maybe it's it's probably asking too much and it's probably not feasible but I just think there's opportunities to get people involved at so many different points in that journey yeah I think that's a really interesting idea and you just reminded me of something it might have been one of your colleagues that showed me this actually it was <laughs> a uh, an online kind of cookie site or cookie or cupcakes or something like that it's food based <laughs> yeah and i think when you clicked on a product the product description started with you know this is uh this person's favorite oh brilliant or whatever because yeah. of this 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 and i think it might have mentioned which department they're in or, or something but then it, mm. then it kind of got into the normal description so it was just their way of like kicking off the product description um just kind of felt made you feel a bit closer to the brand yeah and, and it was just more interesting you'd have me hook line and sinker with something like that yeah that's what would make me choose a brand over amazon every time yeah it's just far more interesting even if it's all written by one person uh, <laughs> you, you know you, you never know maybe i'm just being a bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah cool all right this um yeah been amazing stuff i love it uh love loyalty schemes i think they're they're so useful um, and, they're, and they're so valuable. Like you said, they're, they're not just for tension. They're, they're really good at, uh, at supporting all aspects of the business. Um, if people want to connect with you, find out more, um, what, where should they go? What should they do? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn anytime. Um, otherwise, you can find us over at loyaltyline.com. Um, check out our blog. We've got a whole lot of resources around retention. We've actually just released our latest Hall of Fame, which is a collection of our favourite loyalty programmes. Um, it's quite good for inspiration across different verticals, different uh, types of loyalty tactics and things like that. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me.
while loyalty schemes can be great at driving immediate repeat business by providing a discount or you know, points after a customer makes a few early interactions, the real value lies in the long-term engagement a loyalty scheme can drive. Rewarding people for engaging on social media, reward them for referring friends or for filling out their preferences and providing your business with more data to use to make their experience better. They get an immediate reward and points to use, but the long-term reward to them is personalised product recommendations and just generally a better experience with the brand. It's absolutely crucial that it's easy for customers to gain points uh, and not just through purchasing and that it's clear what value the customer will get from the loyalty scheme. If you make it difficult to get points, no one will make the effort. And if you can't explain the purpose of it, you'll put people off as well. If you'd like to learn more about loyalty schemes, you can get in touch with Fiona on LinkedIn or head over to loyaltyline.com. As usual, any other questions about the podcast, uh, if you've got guest requests or feedback, it's will at customerswhoclick.com. Next up, I've got Laura Higgins on, who's going to talk to us about how brands can grow organically on Instagram. But until then, keep those customers clicking.